0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dominic Booth and I'm joined again by Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall. Slightly warmer February, end of February weather that we're enjoying. How are you both? Very good, thank you. Very good.
1: Yes, making the most of the uh, the change in climate by uh, getting one of the polo shirts out of the wardrobe for the first time in about eight months.
0: Short sleeves, that has been uh, an unknown in recent months, hasn't it? Uh, Manchester United then getting back to winning ways in the Premier League with a 3-1 victory over Newcastle on Sunday night. The dreaded 7pm Sunday night kickoff slot, which I think we all hope United don't ever get again. But it was at least a victory not a vintage one by any stretch of the imagination. Samuel, what, what did you make of it? I mean, it's like I say, it wasn't a classic, was it? It wasn't a, a particularly good performance, but United got the job done just about.
2: Yeah, I thought it was quite stagnant, really, the the performance in general. There was just an element of stagnation in, in certain areas of, of the team that just permeated through, which was also quite predictable in that he, he recalled Hayer and Lindelof I suppose ironically, neither of those two was bad as M- Maguire, who's just in pure slapstick mode for the entirety of the first half. You knew that Fred and Matic were going to start as soon as we did the story that Van der Beek, McTominay, and, and Pogba were out. Still, though, there's no, although that, that was somewhat enforced, there was no need to go with those two. He could have played Fernandez back there and brought Matter in, or he could even have played Matter there. I thought certainly in the first half, there was every chance that, that Matter might have come on. Had, had they not, sooner than had they not actually scored 10 minutes into the second half or whenever it was. And th- they didn't even start the second half that well, but the irony was they, they got the goal. And those three goals, they were all fashioned by direct running, um, decisive play from from Rashford and, and Daniel James. And that, that made the difference in the end, just those moments of uh, decisiveness, that directness. Daniel James had a very good week but it, it was one of those unmemorable wins, really. I think there are more, in a strange way, there were maybe more negatives than, than positives from it. And unfortunately, we're in a cycle at the moment um, from a from a journalistic angle, certainly, of, of covering United, where in the league, even when they do win, it doesn't feel particularly meaningful because of that ten point ten point chasm between themselves and City. And certainly come the derby in, well, I think it's next week, isn't it? Next weekend, but United play play uh, Chelsea away and Palace away before that, uh, I think there's every chance United will be in a worse position than they are at the moment uh, going to the Etihad.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, Ty, I, mean, I guess this time last season, United were were way behind the leaders even further than they are now and they were way behind City in second, they were battling for for fourth place and that didn't even looked like it was going to happen for a long time last season so is it sort of like count your blessings for United fans at the moment an ugly win over Newcastle but it's it's three points and United are at least heading heading upwardly whereas you see teams like Liverpool and Tottenham at the moment really struggling
1: yeah I think you know had United been offered second at the start of the season you would probably have, have taken that I think at the start of the season, I think probably most fans expected third again. And, and let's get closer to the top two. Obviously, Liverpool's collapse has helped that. It it feels like they've kind of shot themselves in the foot in the title race in that they've dropped points recently to teams they shouldn't have dropped points to. I think realistically, given the way Man City are playing, they were never going to win it. The, the challenge was to take it as deep as they possibly could. But losing to Sheffield United and, and drawing with West Brom and Everton has it, just killed momentum and having the title race is, is over, is done and dusted really isn't it but you know there have been signs of improvement this year i think they're averaging about 1.95 points a game something like that they were 1.75 last year so you've got to look at improvements i think it was a year where a title challenge was unexpected it threatened to to break out didn't quite happen but if united can go on and finish second and, and stick 10 points on on where they were last year then i think you'd have to say that's an improvement last night was one of those games given the injuries I think it's one of those games that United are just be happy, happy they've won and, and can get over and and forget about really. Um, you know, like you both said, it was an entirely forgettable game. It, I thought it was a pretty poor performance really, but it's a game they won. And last year, perhaps it's it's a game they wouldn't have won. Like we said, Solskjaer's hands were tied to a degree with selections. He could have been a bit more inventive, maybe, and maybe even changed the formation up a bit. But you know, the decision to play Daniel James again, I thought, was a risk, but but worked out. So credit to him for that. You know, generally it was a poor performance, but if you can play poorly in and win 3-1 when you've got quite a few injuries for, you know, for that United squad, then I think you just take that and, and move on and let's forget about it.
0: Yeah, probably right. Unfortunately, we've got at least 20 more minutes of podcasting to do, so we can't completely <laughs> yeah. forget about it. Well, um, I said that
1: until we were five minutes in. I did think I've gone a bit early there, so uh, you might
0: have stick with us listeners we will talk about more exciting (laughs) matters we absolutely (laughs) promise uh let's let's talk about the the midfield samuel you mentioned fred and matic were obviously enforced selections in that position with pogba van der beek uh, and mctominay all ruled out it did hamstring united a little bit it was obviously a game where he wouldn't have played to defensive minded midfielders had everyone else been available but could sosha have done something different? Play one Mata there? Bruno Fernandes could have played deeper, changed the system or something like that. It it just seemed to it seemed to really keep them keep them penned in when Newcastle pressed in that first half. Fred and Matic were both overrun, really.
2: Yeah, as as I alluded to earlier, he could have been more inventive with with his thinking there. I think everybody knew that those two were going to start to midfield because there weren't many other alternatives. But there, there were there were auxiliary options. Lee Fernandez was one. Uh Mata would have been a bit bit unorthodox and hasn't played an awful lot recently, but you'd you'd rather have him there against a team like Newcastle than Matich and Fred. Fred's a very important player for United, I maintain that. I don't think he's been playing particularly well of late. It was quite amusing in the second half that he he had a shot with his right foot, which went exactly where you thought it would go. And Harry Maguire, just his his sole reaction to it was pass. And I think that's probably what most people would be screaming at Fred whenever he shapes up to shoot or, or has a shot. So I suppose there's some sympathy with Matic and Fred in that when you pair them, in a game like that, you're not really doing them any favours. It's different when you're pairing them against Manchester City, which is what Solskjaer did last season when they won 2-0 at Old Trafford. That, that had absolute merit. That was in a 3-5-2 system as well. So, yeah, it's, it just went as predictably as expected, really.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I guess the, the players to immersion credit for the Newcastle game tie, Daniel James, you have to say. Uh, Marcus Rashford, I've written a piece today mm. about how Rashford maybe deserves a, a little Bit more credit, his goal and assist return this season. I think he's eighteen goals in all competitions now, ten assists. He does he does tend to produce the goods more often than not. I know he gets some critics as well about his finishing and how consistent he is, but those numbers are are an excellent return.
1: Yeah, they are. I think with. Rashford it's almost reached the point where we just have to accept his finishing is inconsistent but you know Liverpool won the league with a number nine who can't really finish so it doesn't have you know it's not necessarily a a terminal issue I think if you were looking at say United will want their first choice attack completed by 2022 If, if Cavani gets another year they'll probably want a centre forward and a right winger in by then unless they're sticking with Greenwood on the right but Either way, I think Rashford has to be the left wing, the starting left winger, I think, long-term going forward in United's best attack. And I think he's he's a player that could play in a front three that could win the league, undoubtedly. Like you say, his return again this season is decent. 40 goals across the last two seasons. And he did miss a couple of months last year with injury. So, you know, he's doing well. And I think him, a source guy named him, Greenwood and Martial as players who haven't had great seasons um, when he spoke to the Sunday papers on on Friday last week. and. That's probably fair, but I think the fact that Rashford's probably not having a great season, but still produced 18 goals, shows that he can still influence games when he's not playing brilliantly. Whereas Martial's not having a great season and just becomes completely anonymous and, and doesn't influence the game at all. So I think, you know, to Rashford's credit, he, he can have a bad game, but he won't go missing. He will find a way to influence games. He missed two sitters against Real Sociedad last week, but was still calm enough and composed enough to to take the third chance when it came. Um So I think. You know, there's just got to be an acceptance that his finishing isn't ruthless. It's probably never going to be ruthless to the extent of, of Cavani. But that doesn't mean he, he can't not have a role in, in that United side. And I think he's, he's undoubtedly the best left winger in that squad. I think you need to keep him on the left rather than shunting him around to, to the centre and the right. I think he just needs to to be settled into that left wing role now, and I think James's emergence on the right is is probably a bonus in in that regard really, and gives a bit more competition. So yeah, you know, I think he's he's probably not having as good a season as he did last year generally, but the fact that he can still produce the goods and come up with goals and assists when he's not playing well is a very much a positive for him. I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I guess the spotlight then Samuel goes on to Martial. It's like that Andy Cole debate that used. You... To exist at United. At least Rashford is getting into the positions and if he gets into positions often enough he'll score the chances like Cole used to do. Martial doesn't seem to be even getting into the positions at the moment. He, he just looks completely bereft of, of confidence, of ideas, of a spark. Uh, I mean, what What's going on there? It's, it's a strange one for fans to, to fathom.
2: I can tell you Martial is never going to be as good a strike for United as as Andy Cole was. Um, <laughs> with, with Cole he, he did he must have taken probably two and a half years to really get going at united and i remember the cup final in 96 how just just forlorn he was it looked like he was having a nervous breakdown but then just kind of at the start of 97 98 season he he caught fire and he was he was brilliant after then until um he went to blackburn but with marshall he's he's been at the club for nearly 6 years he's 26 this year i think honestly that you might as well have had a planted a tree up front against Newcastle, you'd probably got more movement. And that was the problem. You could hear what Solskjaer was saying to Marshall. He was having to tell him when to move um, in the first half when they had a counterattack with Daniel James. And Marshall was loitering by the halfway line, inexplicably. Had he actually kept up with James, he probably would have got on the end to a cross he drilled in towards the near post that Dala gathered. In the second half, Solskjaer was saying um, some movement, uh, and and then he i think he said he said movement but he asked for it in general but then he said specifically anto because he felt marshall wasn't giving him enough movement and it is getting to the point where I think we're in danger of feeling sorry for Marshall because Solskjaer should not be starting him. Uh, it's doing more harm than good. It, there was no rhyme or reason for starting him against Newcastle. I suspected he was always going to stay on for the second half because Solskjaer clearly just doesn't want to make substitutions when United aren't losing at half-time, which... It's a strange way of looking at it because I think more proactive managers have justified substitutions they've made at halftime when they're not necessarily trailing. Van-, Van Gaal did it a number of times. Mourinho did it a number of times. And Solskjaer turned it around at Southampton West Ham by making halftime changes. But you shouldn't necessarily have to be losing. Sometimes you could be... I mean, the Southampton game is a great example, the away one, that United's performance at first half was actually pretty good but they ended up making the two changes at half time one of them enforced with De Gea coming off yet yesterday I'd have said the first half performance was worse and he doesn't make a change purely because it's 1-1 but with Martial it's just it's a lost cause at the moment uh he's last season which was a very good season that he had and probably didn't get enough credit for it uh just looks like an anomaly now uh just just complete freak that he, he somehow operated very well as a number nine. The problem with Marshall is that you, he has to be indulged. And it wasn't a coincidence that hours after he had his contract extended in December 2018, his agent said, oh, I'm pessimistic about a new term altogether. though. And then, of course, 38 days later, because they've changed manager, he does sign an entirely new contract. But when Ibrahimovic came in, Marshall reacted badly. Uh, because he had the number nine taken off him. When Alexis Sanchez came in, uh, he reacted badly because he wasn't on the left wing anymore. When he has his nose put out of joint, he does not have the resilience to cope with it. And Cavani was seemingly hired, or sorry, recruited as a player to play back up to Martial just to support him. Lo and behold, he's shown him exactly what a specialist striker looks like. Martial hasn't responded well to it at all. And we're in the situation that whenever Cavani is fit and available, he starts now. And I need to look it up because it's it's better to just get the actual stats rather than doing them off the top of my head. But Dave Hughes, who, of course, people know as the scouting writer, um, tweeted earlier that in terms of pressing, because obviously everyone associates Cavani as an aggressive presser and Marshall isn't that. Cavani, per 90 minutes, he attempts 14 presses. In the attacking third, it's 789 Marshall's attempted presses for 90 minutes are 8.89 and in the attacking third it's 5.95 and Marshall of course is nearly nine years younger than Cavani he should by just pure logic be more energetic uh show more alacrity but he doesn't Cavani looks younger Cavani looks fitter and you look at the attitude of James against Newcastle, if, if Marshall had that attitude and that running, he would be a world beater. But that's been an issue pretty much since his second season at United that he doesn't always have the applications go with the ability. And I think we're just going to be in that situation with Martial for as long as he's at United. And you look at the situation with United and the number nine there at the moment, they, they want to keep Gavani for a second season. I think that's probably the very most they're going to get out of him two years. Then they're going to need a long-term number nine. So Marshall really is kind of you're looking at it now, and he's possibly on trial over the next fifteen months to, to to ensure he stays at United because he's not going to oust Rashford. I think something would have to go badly wrong with Rashford Marshall to get in ahead of him on the left. Marshall, like Rashford, treats the right wing as as the graveyard slot. He doesn't want to play there. He sees himself as a number nine. But clearly, uh, Solskjaer in pursuing Erling Haaland last year, his admiration of Harry Kane, the signing of Cavani to a lesser extent getting a gallo in on loan. Has some very severe doubts that Marshall can hack it there, and I don't think it's just severe doubts anymore. I just don't think he's a number nine, which is a big problem for United when their first choice striker is a thirty-four-year-old who hasn't started anywhere near as much as Marshall this season, but has as many goals as him.
0: Yeah, as Samuel alluded to there, Ty, you know, we could be facing a situation where we're asking what what happens with Martial's future, and and as Samuel also alluded to, Solskjaer has indulged him. You know, he he didn't replace Romelu Lukaku obviously gave him Martial the number 9 shirt back. I think there's been there's been countless times when Solskjaer stuck with him in the side when maybe other managers may have may have dropped him. Do you see Martial's long-term future at Old Trafford or is this is this non a non recoverable situation?
1: I wouldn't say it's non-recoverable just yet, but I think there's got to be significant concerns. I'm not sure he's the long-term answer at centre-forward, and I don't think he's any better than Rashford on the left. So I don't think there's an obvious starting role for him. So I guess it's up to him whether he is willing to, to knuckle down and, and provide competition for places, which you'd probably have to question on, on what we've seen so far, whether that's really a role that, that suits him. There was there was a moment in the second half, not long before he came off last night, where you can kind of see why Solskjaer wants to stick with him when I think he got the ball wide on the right and had the strength to it was under quite a bit of pressure from Isaac Hayden who's you know a pretty physical defensive midfielder he had the, the strength to hold him off poised to run away from him then slipped the ball past Kieran Clark quite smartly and brought a save from um, Carl Darlow and it was it, it was it was surprising and it, you know it was yeah. a moment that made me go oh where did that come from because it was so out of character what we saw from the rest of the 17 minutes You know, what summed his performance up really was letting a simple pass from Matic go under his studs late in the first half. I was going to mention
0: that, yeah. I was going to mention that exact moment. You know,
1: that's, That was what summed up his performance. Yet this, from nowhere, was just, you know, it just—it completely came out of nowhere. And it kind of, it took me aback because of what had come before. There had been no sign that Martial was going to produce something like that. Then all of a sudden, there it was. It was kind of, you know, it was everything you'd probably want from a number nine. The skill to beat a man, the strength to hold a man off. And in that moment, you can maybe see why Solskjaer thinks there's there's some raw ingredients to work with here. But, you know, like Samuel said, he's 25, approaching 26. And sooner or later, you just have to accept that it's, it's not really going to work. He's, you know, he, he's maybe something of a streaky striker in that last season, certainly post lockdown, he, he had a really good spell. The front three were all having a good spell. But this year, it's, it's just not happened for him. He's been inconsistent for most of the season. And I do, I'm i I'm not sure there's a starting role. Well, I'm certain there's not a starting role for him in that team. Um, and I guess that, you know, that raises the question of, is he willing to be a backup and is he suitable to be a backup? And you'd say probably the answer on that is no at the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. With United in the market for a striker possibly in the summer, and with the, the emergence of the, the likes of Ahmad and Shola. Are we going to say Shura T Ray? Because that's what they were saying on our commentary. I was taken slightly aback by that. We need to get some sort of consensus on, on uh surname. But he wasn't positive that he was given his debut, a young 17 year old against Newcastle. Obviously, only just got a couple of minutes at the end. But against the team uh, from the city where he's from, he's obviously impressed Samuel a huge amount in the. In the under twenty-threes and in the under eighteens before that, always playing a few years um ahead of himself. Is this a, is this another young young talent off the conveyor belt, or is it maybe time to be a little bit patient with with a player like this?
2: Oh, patience is is essential here. I mean there's so much mitigation around why Shortire has made his debut with players going out on loan, uh, certain injuries of, of late. But I think some of us were discussing when, when we were at Lee uh, for, for the Blackburn game, What why have Sergio Rem, Romero in, in the first team bubble taken up a training place when you've got kids like Shortire and, and Meshbury who have clearly got potential um, and need to be in the first team bubble. And then, lo and behold, they, they were added to it. But I think Neil Wood said to us, didn't he, that he, he's clearly not ready for a loan um, just yet. So he is probably operating above is is brief at the moment but you know it's 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 good to have that feel good factor of having a, a very young player come into come into the first team to make his debut to get that experience have that exposure i suspect Tire will probably need another half a season um in the under 23s i mean he's, he has been playing um a full season with them already so maybe there's an argument that he does just go out on loan in the summer even though he is still quite raw and um, I mean, United—they don't just take these decisions on the whim with with teenagers in terms of when they go out on loan. There are so many things that are factored into it. I mean, even just not playing but being around the first team is is something that Nicky Butt uh, told me uh, is is something that they, they you know they, they value an awful lot. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think he told me that in relation to. James Garner and Dylan Levitt last year when neither of them went out on loan it seemed like they should have gone out on loan and in hindsight they probably should have as well um, and of course, they have done this season. But with Shaw Tyres for, for those of us who've watched him at a academy level or, or reserve level, he is an exciting player. United were very, very happy to brief last year that he'd agreed to, um a contract because there was an awful lot of interest across Europe. He was one of those players who had an awful lot of prominence at such a young age, a little bit like Angel Gomez. You knew who he was when he was only 14 years of age. So there's always got to be an element of patience with with players like that because as we've seen with gomez even though he's doing very well at bar Visto, it doesn't necessarily always work out at united and it, it's particularly difficult i think for young players in this, this day and age they're all on instagram there are some pretty unedifying accounts on instagram who, who do prey on them really they build them up they give them the exposure the kids are you know starstruck by these these instagram accounts giving them the time of day and there's there's got to be a safeguarding issue then i don't think united do a great job with that joe hugel was an example of that recently and that out the blue he'd done an interview with some instagram account which the club weren't even aware of and hugel was was pulled and pulled on it i was told by his agency but these accounts um were the same accounts that were big enough jeremy whiston uh, who extremely sadly was the former city youth team player who who died last year. Uh, I think everybody's well aware of the circumstances surrounding that. So it's just it's very important that these players are protected from from the limelight, like from the exposure they get on social media, in in the media as well. I mean, we we probably cover the academy more than any other outlet on the planet, and I include the United website. Um, with that as well but it's it's going to be an important time for short time now now that obviously I mean you can only imagine the google referrals yesterday when he did make his debut
0: yeah certainly a huge amount of attention and I guess for, for the sake of a couple of minutes performance and it is, it is absolutely right not to to overhype a, a young player like that and then you've got Ahmed as well uh Ty who who maybe the situation is slightly different for with a 37 potential 37 million pound fee that United may pay for him United have got a, a game uh this Thursday night it's a dead rubber if you like, really in the Europa League second leg against Real Sociedad, but Solskjaer said that it is possibly too early for for Ahmad and Shorter to to start that game. Do you understand that sort of the care and and, and the gentle approach maybe that Solskjaer is taking with with, uh, with the youngsters maybe Ahmad you might say different. He he maybe deserves to start
1: yeah possibly but you know he's still incredibly inexperienced in terms of first team football i think he's played less than 200 minutes across united and atalanta still he's he's very very raw we've got to remember he's just moved to a new country he's only 18 it's probably you know there's an awful lot going on for him at the moment and i think it's probably the sensible approach not to throw him in um you know the the tie is as good as over but rail sausage just going to turn up and let an 18 year old come on and play 90 minutes and do some tricks against them. Uh, You know, I think that they won't take kindly to the presence of an 18-year-old being on the pitch and, you know, making his first start. It would be a serious test for him. You can't imagine if he was on the right-up against Nacho Monreal and started doing a few step-overs, you know, you can't imagine that's going to go down particularly well with someone as experienced as Nacho Monreal. So... You know, I think it would be a risk to start him. You know, he's certainly getting closer, I guess. But considering that there is a hell of a lot of excitement about him, and a lot of that is because of that potential £37 million fee. But conversely, that's a hell of a fee for someone who has barely played three hours of, of senior football in his life. So... You know, there does need to be sort of an understanding of, of where he's at, really. And he, in terms of his football development, he is still very, very young and very raw. So I think increasing his time off the bench and and looking to give him maybe 20 minutes, half an hour on, on Thursday is probably the sensible route.
0: Yeah, it could be a Ronaldo versus Bolton situation with a million step overs <laughs> when he, he made his United debut, stands out in my memory. Um, what sort of team then, Samuel, can we expect for the, the Real Sociedad game? I guess an, another chance for Solskjaer to maybe build the confidence of his Fringe players, the midfield, again, might be an issue if, the, if there are injuries there. But I guess Dean Henderson and Eric Bailly will be keen for another chance to press their cases for regular first-team football.
2: I just thought that Tunzebe and Williams, it's a tie that's safe to, to play both of them. Uh, Teles will... will... Coming at left-back, but given that it is 4-0, I don't really see the harm in bringing Williams in. He's not had enough enough playing time. Uh, he certainly wanted to go on loan in January, but as soon as they sold Timothy Fosu, that, that just wasn't going to happen. And Toon and Zeeb needs to get his confidence back up as well. I mean, Harry Maguire doesn't necessarily deserve a rest after the weekend, but when you actually look at his overall playing time this season, they, they need to be careful there. They've, there's an element of luck with it, but also United's injury record this season has been extremely good. Good. So the medical department are clearly doing something right there. And Maguire, I think he's started every Premier League game since he joined the club, given that they're 4-0 up. It doesn't really make much sense to to keep him in the team, even though I think he was he started against Mask in the, the second leg uh, back in August when United were five in Lotham, the first leg that was played in March. But uh, I, I just don't really see the sense in in starting him. And with Wan Bisaka, they, they do need to be mindful of um, of his conditioning, in that there's clearly a reluctance to play someone else at right back because Williams is prefers to play at left back. Tounzib did very well at right back against Everton in the Carabao Cup, and he has played the he has played well there previously, certainly on his full debut against Arsenal nearly four years ago when he came up against Alexis Sanchez. So that's something for Solskjaer to consider. But it was interesting that uh, Wan-Bissaka against West Ham a couple of weeks ago, when it came to extra time, he was was just taken off. It wasn't even a tactical move. It was a case of we need to look after him, otherwise we're going to overwork him and I think he was chomping on a banana as he walked down the touchline, which was obviously to um, ease the onset of cramp. And again, like Maguire, he has played an awful lot of football this season. It's difficult to think of the games he has missed. I think he's, you could probably count on one thing, one hand, how many how many games he's missed this season. Uh, in terms of the midfield, I really wouldn't want to predict what, what he's going to go with there. That That's dependent on a lot of things. Uh, I think Matic and Fred, again, would be quite demoralising for just about everyone who's watching. There's I, I completely take what Ty said about Ahmad. I think it, it does make sense to ease him in, not... not throw him in too too quickly. But there is an element of Solskjaer maybe being a bit of a small sport and not starting it when you are 4-0 up in a in, in a European knockout tie and it does seem all but over. Uh, but with the Chelsea game on Sunday, it's it's difficult to to envisage what what attack he will go with because do you do you, I mean logically Greenwood would come back in, but you'd think Greenwood should be starting against Chelsea because there's just absolutely no way he can justify starting Marshall again and maybe this is a game that Marshall has to start in because there's no pressure. Um, Sociedad's defending is you know, very, very obliging for, for attackers so maybe that's the game that he starts in and gets a goal or two to to get his confidence back up.
0: Yeah, you would think so as well and you'd, you'd probably think, um, well, Mata will be among those who start as well for, for United but let's let's have predictions then for that game I know it's, it's a it's a fairly uh dead rubber t- type of contest and we'll of course preview the the much more important Chelsea game in a in a future podcast um on Friday likely but uh Ty it's, it's not going to be 5-4 in aggregate to Real Sociedad this is it
1: no, no, I think, um, I think United <laughs> will score, so I think Real Sociedad not need five themselves, so um, we'll rule yeah. that but scenario they need six, out. They, uh, would they? Would they need five <laughs> for extra time, wouldn't they? Anyway, I think it's an irrelevant conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, you might be right, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I think, you know, they, they, were, they looked good enough to score against United, they looked good in the first half, and at half-time on Thursday night, I did think they would score, and their threat faded second half, but... I can see United changing all of their back five, really. I think that'd be a common-sense approach. And Real Sociedad will probably want to get some kind of, um, some memento from the trip or some pride from the trip. So I think that, that I can see them scoring. So maybe 1-1. One, one.
0: Yeah, that sounds fair enough to me. Samuel, you, would you agree? Or United would probably like just the, the fact of getting three back-to-back victories under their belt as a, a little confidence booster going into Chelsea. I
2: could I, I could see it as a 1-1 one, one as well. I was thinking that before before Ty said it. it just It does have the makings of a complete... Uh, underwhelming write-off of a Europa League night, and because because the first leg is you know has made it a foregone conclusion. But if, if sausage do make it exciting, then at least it'll be it'll be watchable.
0: We can only hope that the uh, the temperature at Old Trafford is as high as it was for the Newcastle game, and where the thermal layers are left at home. But that's fantastic stuff from both of you. Thank you uh, very much for both of your contributions, uh, and thank you for watching this. If you have been doing so on our uh, United Facebook page. If you've been listening as a podcast, just give, leave us a like and a subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Well, Samuel, Ty, thank you very much for both of you. Thank, thank you Dom. again. And we'll be back with you very, very soon on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thanks for listening.